tabernacle of David. Um, and you'll all remember that uh, the Levites had been appointed to do certain offices and uh, you know that of course that the restoration of the tabernacle of David is New Testament not Old Testament uh, and uh, I don't want to re-go over that but uh, the Levites were appointed to be singers and you remember that last time we looked at it we saw that there were two types of singers do you remember? Hmm? There were the high and the low. Hmm? And there was a different of eight octaves, and you remember that's found in, uh, uh, for those that understand, in um, those of first degree in 1 Chronicles 15. And um, there were the trumpet blowers, and it goes on to say in verse 25 of 1 Chronicles 15, so David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. Um, God didn't leave it. Though the Levites were bearing the ark upon their shoulders, God didn't leave them alone to do it, but God helped them. And there's something about bearing an ark and bringing back the glory of God into the midst of a people that's very important. And that is, you'll remember that the ark was upon staves, and the ark symbolizes the presence of God, and if you try and carry something on staves, you will discover that it becomes a problem if each person decides which way they're going to go. Um, you won't get very far. In other words, you have to be in unity. If you've ever carried someone on a stretcher, you will know uh, that it's rather an awkward thing to do uh, especially if you all get in step because a poor person will be bounced along. So what you do, you break step and you walk and you can pretty easily take a person along. But where they had the Ark of the Covenant, which was fairly heavy, it was overlaid with gold and it was no light thing, um, they were walking along with a mercy seat on top of it, you'll remember, and carrying it upon their shoulders and God helped them. And they had to go one way. And they had to be led, and they were led by the king, as we shall find out in a minute. But the thing is that when we move in the spirit and in the spirit realm, and we want to bring the presence of God into a meeting, there's one thing everyone has to do, and that is set their heart in unity to flow the same way. You see, you can't bring the presence of God to a meeting if everyone's doing their own thing. For instance, I've heard it said, though I don't believe a word of it, 
but it's good in, for everyone in the spirit. They come to a meeting. One wants to stand up and praise. Another one wants to kneel down and worship. Another one wants to sit down and read their Bible. That is not unity. That is lunacy. Unity is where people are flowing together in the spirit where they allow the kingship of Christ to come in and to overrule their own hearts and the dictates and inclinations of their own souls. And they begin to flow the way their king wants to go. And these men, you remember, were appointed by David, the singers, and the Levites had been sanctified and there had been the dealings of God in their life to bring the sanctification and they had to go together. As I say, you imagine if one person at the front of the ark decided they were going to go quickly and the person at the back decided they were going to go slowly and they were carrying a stave on their shoulders, well, it's going to drop off somewhere. If one decided they're going to turn to the right to get round a bowler and the other people turn to the left, you would have a little difficulty. And so they had to do it together. Now you don't find in the average church that people are even aware of the necessity of unity because man's heart is infinitely proud. A man's heart comes along and everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. According to judges, uh, we're warned of the apostate state of um, a church or a people, is when everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. And that happens, of course, when people are baptized in the Spirit and they each have their own leading from God and therefore they all know the way to go, don't they? And they all think they can do better than anyone else and you find that the people go off in such diverse degrees. And you don't get unity, you get chaos. That's awful. And so the Levites begin to bring back the Ark of God. Now they're men who are sanctified. They're men who have been set apart for the service. And if so be that God by the Holy Ghost has really dealt with your heart, you come not to fulfill your will in a meeting, but to submit to the leading of the king. Now the king obviously, is wise enough to appoint leaders and spokesmen. And you will find that if you flow with that which God is doing, God will begin to minister to you. And his presence will come. Whereas if you just go your way, all you do is bring a spirit of confusion in the place. You understand that? Hmm? And so, the first lesson we get is the fact that there must be a flow of unity. You can't shut yourself off and say, well, it doesn't matter. It matters what every one of us does. When we come to meet God face to face and we come into the presence of God, I must help to bring back the flow of the Spirit in my heart I must flow with what God wants to do. I mustn't sit there and think, oh, I don't feel like it tonight. They're going to praise. And, 
Oh dear, listen to them. Oh, and I've had a bad day. Oh, oh you sit down stubbornly. Oh, they're going to dance, I'm not going to. Not my way. Or you sit there and you think, well, mm, huh. Now, there are people that go to meetings like that. I see them all the time. Uh, when you go around the world, you, you see more of them than you'd wish. They, they're what I'd call the barrack room lawyers or the shop stewards of any church. They always have a, you know, their idea of what should happen. And they sit there with glum faces. I'm sure you've all had the privilege of seeing them. And they sit there with glum faces. They're not going to be moved the same way everyone else is moved because they're sedate and orderly and, of course, they're nice and mature and stuck. <laughs> concreted into their base. Got their tombstone well erected on their forehead. And they're not going to move. And off they go and they sit there and defy you to make them look happy. And I've seen people like that, they defy you. See, I've been to churches where they'll sit there and glare at you. You know what I do? I wait till the opportune moment and glare back. Why not? I've as much right to. sit there, I'm not going to have this. Well, of course, God won't visit a people like that. Uh, the people that s sit there and they say, Amen, and they go, mm, yeah, agreeing with everything you say. Of course, they don't ever act on it. I always get worried when people are too ready to agree. You know, there's, um, there's something about the Word of God you don't find it quite too easy to agree all the time. It kind of hits, you know, <clears throat> on a raw spot occasionally, and you're not quite so quick to say, hey, ooh, men. And you find that there's just that inside that doesn't want to agree. Where people agree readily, it means that they're one of those people that say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, oh, wonderful, Lord, thank you, Jesus, oh, hallelujah, glory to God, you know, start off jabbering to themselves in tongues like a lunatic, oh, thank you, Jesus, oh, wonderful. And all the way through the meeting as you're preaching, you can hear them rattling away like an old tin can or clanging cymbal, he's better at that. And then, then at the end of the meeting, they go away, they do the exact opposite. Jesus spoke about those people, say yes, and then don't do it. And he spoke about the other people who sit there and listen and they say, ooh, ooh no, ooh no. And then they get up and go and do it. And you see, we're one of the, the two types. Now, it's all right, if sometimes you feel a real big no in you, that's healthy. well I thought it had to be yes all the time amen all the time no there's times when you, you find a no as long as you recognize that it's wrong and you see that the cross has got to go through it that's alright I'd rather that anyway here they go 
and it says, um, uh, and it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Now, you, what does the number six represent? Man, because man was uh, created on the sixth day. And so, there was a necessity every six paces to sacrifice and there had to be atonement for the flesh. The flesh had to be dealt with. And in any walk with God where we're going to go on and the presence of God is going to be in the midst of the people, there's one thing we need, the flesh dealt with. Don't we? And every six paces, they had to make sacrifice to get rid of that horrible thing, the flesh. Now these were the Levites, remember, who were bearing the ark of the Lord. Six paces. Huh? Did I not tell you where I was? I assumed you'd all turn there. Oh dear. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm only reading the parallel passage. I mean, don't you know where it is? I beg your pardon. So, says in uh, 2 Samuel 6 and verse uh, 12, and it was told the king, uh, no, let's go, so halfway through the verse, so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. You see, it's the identical corresponding passage with the passage we've been reading in 1 Chronicles. And you'll find you can go from place to place and different things brought out. But you imagine six paces they go and the oxen have to be slaughtered because the flesh must be dealt with all the time. The cross must be in the life every step of the way. And at number six, that's the time you need the sacrifice. Amen? In other words, you don't need the flesh around when God's around. You don't need an exhibition of man's self. And there is one thing that can happen, especially when you move into the realm of the Spirit, and that is you can find that there are methods and ways of doing things, and you can leave God out of it. You suddenly find that you can flow, you can give tongues, interpretations, prophecies, lay hands on the sick and see them recovered, pull a few legs and get them longer, do all sorts of things, and I mean very valid things, it's not that difficult really and yet of course you move from the realm where it's God's anointing into the realm of the flesh and because you know the principles of God you will find that the things still operate unfortunately they're operating from soul power now instead of from spirit power and there aren't many that can discern between the two and it is one of the most evil and deadly things when you go to these meetings and you see all these things operate and you know they're operating from flesh source. 
And the Lord helped the Levites. And the Levites realized when the Lord helped them that every six paces there better be sacrifice. Amen? You know, we don't need to go too many steps before we need to know that our dependence is on God. Don't you agree? I don't need to go too far down the road before I realize that I need God to keep me. And I need to put away the flesh and the ways of the flesh and I need his spirit flowing. Amen? I need to know the power of the Holy Ghost. And these men, they walked and as they walked along, off came their heads, out came the blood and a nice sacrifice. Actually, hmm? it took, a, oh yeah, it took a long time, all right. But they had all the time in the world. God's not in a rush. Man's in a rush to get there. God isn't. God, you know, took 40 years to prepare a man. 40 years in the wilderness preparing a man. Stuck him in the backside of the desert having spent 40 years bringing up in a king's house. He then spends 40 years in the wilderness preparing him and the man's disobedient in one thing and God goes out to slay him. 80 years he's going to ride it off in a moment. That was Moses. Says that God met him at the inn and he was going to slay him because he hadn't circumcised his child. Eighty years of preparation and God said, that's it. Now, you remember that he circumcised his child and his wife called him a nasty name. Said, thou art a bloody husband. In the authorised version, I don't know what it says in the perversions. And you know, got very angry with him. And uh, yet, you see, God had prepared a man for 80 years. Then, won't do it, that's it. Now, we like to believe that, you know, God's ever so gracious and loving and really, you know, he'll always forgive you. Always, you know, it doesn't really matter just tell him how sorry you are and he'll come and say, oh, there, there. But I'm afraid God's not at all like that. With Moses, after 80 years of preparation, God was prepared to zap him in a minute. I think that sometimes we have a wrong impression of God. Very wrong. You remember Saul was head and shoulders above all the men around him in Israel. And there he was, this king. And he was God's anointed. And he chose to go his way. And God just said, that's it. Only one thing, he didn't obey God in everything and God took away his kingdom from him. He said, that's it from this day. Another man raced into the um, temple of God and presumptuously went to make sacrifice to God. God just smote him with leprosy. Hmm? 
Another servant of, um, uh, who was it? Elisha went after Naaman. You remember? Yeah. Gehazer? Gehazer. Um, went after Naaman. And do you remember? Took the, took the um, reward. And that was it. God smote him with leprosy. And he was a leper. Still knew the ways of God. Could still function. Could still prophesy in the courts. Still did. But leprosy, and leprosy of course speaks of sin. Leprosy was on him for the rest of his life. Of course we say, well we're new covenant. It doesn't apply. Oh darling, you've got a surprise. It applies very much to us. You know, we like to believe, oh well yeah, God dealt with them like that then, but now we're under grace course we're under grace if we live righteously but we have to remember that we've got to judge ourselves that we be judged of no man and we've got to walk in holiness without which no one shall see the Lord and all these things come in upon us if we're honest and there are these men six paces sacrifice and it's interesting to note as we go on in verse 15 so David and all the house of Israel bore up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet and if you just um, keep your finger there and um Go to uh, 1 Chronicles 15 again. And we're going back and forth. Uh, it says in verse 27, And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, and all the Levites that bear the ark and the singers, and Shenaniah, the master of the song with the singers, David also had upon him an ephod of linen, Thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant with shouting and with the sound of the corn and with trumpet and with cymbal, making a noise with psaltery and harps. Glory to God. These people weren't quiet and sedate. They were dancing and shouting and blowing trumpets and banging cymbals and playing the psalteries. They were making a, a real good old boom boom and the chief of the singers was leading the singers now he wasn't someone robed in robes and kind of standing going like that and everyone singing they were singing with all their hearts you know wasn't nothing religious about it um, and they, there they were and David who was king you remember wore an ephod was finally in an ephod now you'll remember that the ephod uh, was the priestly undergarment. Not underclothes, undergarment. And all it was was a plain linen uh, kind of toga thing. And um, David wore it. And you see, what he'd done 
is David had recognized that he was bringing up the presence of God back into the city. And he knew that God should have the preeminence. And even though he was rightfully king, he realized because every six paces he saw the sacrifice, he realized that there was only one true king and his kingship belonged to the Lord of glory. And he laid off his kingly robes and he acknowledged in doing that that he was a man. And he wore an ephod just as the Levites wore, and not to grasp at priesthood, but to show that there was nothing in his life that was worthy to bring up the presence of God. It wasn't because he had been anointed king over the children of Israel. It was by the graciousness of God. So he laid aside all his earthly glory, put it aside, and put on an ephod, and went before the Lord, having appointed the singers, and having appointed the musicians, having got them all playing, and the sanctified Levites had been prepared, there they were, carrying the ark of God, and what a wonderful noise, and they were doing it with tremendous joy, and shouting, and cheering, and I should imagine it rather sounded like the cop when they scored a goal. You know, I, I mean if you know what that is. In other words, the whole of their being was an expression of joy. They just wanted to shout and praise God and sing. Uh, and you notice that it does say they shouted. All these singers were shouting. You go to some churches and you really let fly. People will come up to you and say, now you better be careful, brother. You'll ruin your singing voice. Well, I don't think these singers were too worried about that. They were giving glory to God. And there they were, all of them, getting on fire, going to most churches and start shouting, get offended. Oh dear, you know, we don't do it that way. People have come to me before and they've said, well, I, I like the meetings, but I like to be able to sit in quietness and wait on God. What they mean is they don't want to obey God and praise him. It says, let everything that hath prayer praise the Lord. And you can't praise the Lord in silence. You have to open the thing in the middle of your face and shout. You do. Most people won't do that. They just don't do it. You know, they're too refined. When did you give a last give a shout? Real shout. Jesus said, well, he said, if the people didn't praise me, the stones would cry out. Which one of you two with stony hearts would cry out? People with hearts of flesh automatically do it. Always know when someone's really been begotten of God, there's a shout of the king in the camp, says in scripture, and that means that inside your heart there's such a shout, and somehow it has to come out, doesn't it? There's kind of the joy that wells up, and all of a sudden out comes a shout. Glory to God. Hmm? 
Do you get that inside you? Kind of a bursting forth of a shout? No? Hmm. It's a healthy thing, invigorating. Amen. Better than shouting at your wife, isn't it? Amen. You're shouting praise to God. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. And these people, they were going along shouting like this. And you can imagine really dancing the cymbals, banging the trumpets, blowing the cornets going. What a noise. Thirty odd thousand of, oh no, more than that. 30,000 the first time the chief men would take. Now it's all Israel. Up they are. All of them shouting, singing, jumping, dancing. Glory to God. How many churches do you go to where they're like that? Can you imagine this? Stand up. Lord, we've come into your presence this morning. And you look around and you think, well, I don't see God anywhere. I mean... Once heard someone say, you know, people went into one meeting and the person said, Lord, we would come into thy presence this morning. And he said, you know, God's answer would be, well, where do you think you've been all day, son? I mean, it's so formalistic and, and ritualistic, isn't it? Can you imagine coming in and everyone kind of gets up and they begin to dance and to sing and to shout, and the glory of God descends. I prefer that, don't you? Hmm? I feel more at home there. I don't like the other way. I find it totally detestable. And so does God. He said, I'm fed up with your solemn assemblies. In Isaiah. You know, people, you get solemn assemblies. They sing, make thy chosen people joyful. And, I mean, what could be more solemn than that? And have you been there? You remember, you remember that, don't you, Alan? You used to practice it, didn't you? <laughs> Till God really got you out and made you joyful. And, and you, you, you wonder when, when you, oh, dear Father, what is it? That's why I became an atheist. When I was 14, I think, 13 or oh, 13, I thought, well, if that's real, then all I can say is it doesn't give them anything. So I slung the whole lot. My, I'll tell you this. That I, I went, you know, I, I was confirmed because I went to a public school. Uh, and I remember... Uh, I think I've told you the only thing that I noticed was I got a stiff neck because a bishop was so old he leant on me. <laughs> Instead of laying his hand on me, used me for a support while he was praying. <laughs> no anointing on him. Only thing he'd ever been anointed with was brill cream. And he did. Uh, and you went away and you thought, I don't know. The whole thing's a load of humbug. That's how I went away. Terrible. And there you are. But David saw the principle. You've got to lay aside everything. Could you imagine a bishop laying aside his kind of fish hat 
and his stick with a curl in the end and his toga or whatever you call it and all that rubbish I mean do you think that it impresses God what an insult to the king of glory and it's just as big an insult to start with a hymn prayer hymn sandwich might as well have a cucumber one do just as much good I mean you, it's just so ridiculous and yet in religion that's how everyone's got it hmm? but here we have the glory of God's being brought back to the midst of the people and they've got the trumpets, the cymbals everything going, great joy you know, great joy <laughs> shouting imagine it going to most churches and if you shouted you wake half of them up oh someone's in here besides me they wouldn't know they don't talk to anyone around but or, or you get the other extreme you get um, plenty of shouting but no holiness but you see these had had both the flesh had been dealt with I mean you can shout in the flesh but the flesh was dealt with every six paces and David had left off all his finery and there he was in an ephod um, and, it's, and it says um, and the ark of the Lord came into the city of David and Michael, Saul's daughter I'm in verse 16 of 2 Samuel 6 where are you? And um, you should know this story. And um, with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet, and as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Now, what was David doing? leaping and dancing amen now when you get really full of happiness what do you do leap and dance you know there was a man called Billy Bray he was a tinker not a tailor nor a soldier or sailor tinker and he went around and what he used to do he'd get so excited when he was preaching he'd leap around the pulpit and then when people used to come to his house he'd go up to them and he'd grab them and he'd lift them off the ground and dance round with them shouting hallelujah, glory to God and then he'd put them down <laughs> see amen when he'd give them a bit of glory and he'd go and he'd start in a meeting I, I remember another fellow I think I've told you about him old Fisher old elder in Bradford he used to go into churches and the minister would get, you know, usually Baptist churches. They were a place where most foul beasts go. And he used to sit there and in, in the middle of it, he'd get up and go, Hallelujah! Glory to God! And run in the middle of the minister preaching and shouting, Glory to God! And then sit down. 
And someone asked him once, and, and the minister afterwards, you know, he couldn't understand it. The whole place changed and became alive. And he went up and he thanked Brother Fisher. And he said, well, he said, I don't know what you did, sir, but the whole place changed. I found it so hard. And all of a sudden, you got up and shouted, and everything became easy. And old Brother Fisher said, I said, place were full of devils. And he shouted them out. I mean, you know, he had a reality with God. A lot of places where I like to go and shout him out, and half the congregation would go. <laughs> but at least the devils would go with them. <laughs> One way to get rid of devils, keep shouting. Let the devils go. People want to go out, oh, they'd probably take them with them. Some people do, you know. Quickest way. Amen. And so, Michael, looking through a window, now you'll notice that all Israel has gone to bring the Ark of the Covenant of God up to the city, except Michael. Now, she was Saul's daughter. And you remember that David's the man of the spirit and Saul is the man of the flesh. And Michael wasn't about to go and do that. Now one of the things is that if you read back, and you can in your own leisure, in 1 Samuel, you will discover that she used to keep little gods in her house. And you remember in the time of Saul, they never ever worshipped the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't even bother to get the Ark back after the Philistines had sent it back. They left it. And there was her, she was an idolatress. And she despised David, and she also despised the Ark of God. She didn't see the necessity of the Ark of God. She'd got her own little gods. And so she stayed behind. And when she heard the noise and the singing and everything, she looked out of the window, and there was her husband, dancing and leaping and praising God in front of the ark of God. Amen. And instead of wearing his crown and all his finery, he only had on a priest's garment, a linen ephod. That's all. Dancing and leaping and jumping and shouting. And everyone else was too. Amen. That's what you call a kind of normal church meeting. Hmm? You know, a real good, gutsy, with it type meeting. Except when you're on the first floor. When the walls aren't too safe, then don't do it. Mind you, Wesley did, and the floor collapsed, and they just went down to the basement, and then picked themselves up and carried on. The whole floor slipped down the building. Um... So there's nothing wrong with it. In Wesley's day they did that. George Fox's day they used to do it in the early Quakers. Um, Boo's day they used to do it. All the, wherever there's real revival from God, there's a tremendous surge of praise and shouting and dancing and leaping. And if you don't see a real, you know, if you believe there's a work of the Spirit and that doesn't accompany it, I don't believe it's a work of the Holy Ghost at all. Because that is the way God brings people in. 
leaping and dancing and shouting. Amen. And other people fall down. And devils come out of them and that's that. And they get up, cleaned up, set free and liberated and jump up and down too. And that's why Paul, when he wrote the wonderful words, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, it means jump up and down and spin around like a top. That's what the word means in the Greek. Of course, you go into churches now and they say, we will rejoice by singing hymn number. We will praise the Lord with hymn number. We worship the Lord with the notices. As if God needs to know what's going on in their church. I mean, you know, it is so yuck, isn't it? Hmm? That's why I left them. Couldn't stand it. I kept upsetting them. I went to one place uh, and I was told, we mustn't shout in here. You know, we believe that... um, lips are moving don't say anything you know they're kind of (laughs) you've seen they hold their hands up in the same way and you think is that joy have you ever been when they do that Oh, they've got the finger twitch. <laughs> they think it's some anointing. You see all sorts. Oh, they get the... Sh- <laughs> what rubbish. You know, if you're joyful... You're joyful and you sing and you dance and you clap and you jump up and down and you hallelujah and, and you're full of joy. I mean, you, you know, there's nothing religious about it. There was old King David dancing with all his might before the ark of the Lord. Hey Amen. How many do you see really doing that? You know, really just letting go. Glory to God. It says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. When you run out of breath, sit down, get some more. And then get up and off you go again. That's all. And, and th- this was the way it was going. And there they were, and Michael kind of peeps out. Looks. And she despised him in her heart. You know, it's inside. It's funny, but when you get to this stage where you really are set on fire with joy, there will always be the odd critics peering through the window, having a look. They're the ones that are going to despise you. You know, 
they're quite happy as long as you're a Christian but your Christianity stops on Monday morning when you leave the church and it doesn't start again till the next Sunday. As long as you're like that, you're not one of these fanatics that believes the Bible and you're not one of these people that takes everything literally and you're not one of these people that says praise the Lord and hallelujah, glory to God. You've got to be one of these people who you know, uh, you don't offend anyone with your religion. I mean, if you ever read your Bible in the train, you should put a newspaper cover on it so no one knows what you're reading in case they get offended. Or um, you mustn't uh, do this or that or, or look religious at all. And those type people, called evangelicals, uh, look through the window and they think, oh, I'm not, look at that. And they despise. The religious people do. Why? King Agrippa, very religious, learnt all about the Jewish customs, and when Paul was confronted, confronting Agrippa, he said, much learning has made you mad. Do you remember? In Acts 2, they say, well, these men are drunk. There they were, being filled with the Holy Ghost, tongues of fire from heaven, filled to overflowing, they go out and they begin to declare the wonderful works of God, speaking in tongues and singing and dancing. Doesn't say they all stood quietly and reverently and said, people, we've come to tell you. Uh, I mean, you know, don't you agree? That's the way it is. I can't imagine that they were ever so sedate. And look at the man who was healed. Do you remember the, who was lame? And I picked him up, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given you. What did he do? Well, the Holy Ghost touched him and he was leaping and dancing. It's a lovely old Pentecostal chorus, the Lord has set my feet a-dancing set my heart a dancing too and, and you can't there's something about when you get choruses going and you get music going your feet kind of start you know they, they waggle on the end of your legs and you're fine you've got to and when you're full of joy you, you, your whole body begins to express it doesn't it hmm? now what we have to learn to do is let it go just let it go and, and really give vent to your joy. Now, of course you'll upset people. Of course you will. Well, let them get upset. That's their problem, not yours. Your problem is to praise and rejoice in God. Of course they'll say you're fanatical. You're totally fanatical. That's how you're meant to be the Lord our God with all our heart, soul and strength tell me how to love without emotion I'd like to hear how you do it you can't can you it's all emotion say oh no oh it's, it's in the spirit what bunkum I mean people come to you and say you know oh we do it in our spirits Stupid people, you clay pots. 
Your spirit's inside. It's got to be expressed outwardly. This aesthetic kind of, I'm doing it, you know, somewhere up there. People have come to me and said, oh, well, I don't do it, but I feel it down here. I looked at one fellow and said, well, I can't see your stomach jumping. (laughs) (laughs) He said he could feel it. But they've got such a, oh, you know, and this is how Michael was. Saul's daughter. Now, it's always kind of someone of the flesh, you know, who's got all the ritual, all the trappings, all the charismata stuck round their neck like a big chain. And they'll peer through the window and despise. Now, David didn't get bothered about it. David didn't even really bother. He was just dancing and praising God. He wasn't looking round to see who was peering through the windows, getting upset. They want to look through the windows. That's their problem. Don't you agree? Hmm? I mean, it, it might frighten them. Well, if it frightens them, let it frighten them. They'll say it's fanatical. Of course it is. I mean, what is more fanatical than hanging on a wooden cross when you're totally innocent? What is more fanatical than saying, except a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he'll have no part of me? What's more fanatical than believing that God has cursed sin and you must quit it forever? and be filled with his Holy Spirit and move in the power of the Holy Ghost. Totally fanatical. I mean, if it weren't true, we're all mad. Aren't we? It's beyond logic and reason. That's why old King Agrippa said to Paul, much more learning has made you mad, Paul. Told Agrippa about a bright light shining out of heaven, how he lost his sight, was led by the hand, and... God opened his eyes and the Jesus whom he persecuted, now he preached. And I, I mean, it sounds like lunacy, really. And the more we go on with God, the more lunatic we become. In the sense of going away from the world's ways and the world's standards and the world's ideas and the church's ideas and the religious people's ideas, we go right away from it. We're totally different. And thank God for it. You know, they want to tame you down, calm you down. You know, after 20 years, be miserable like me. No, I won't. And Michael, she gets very upset. And it says... um, And they bought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Glory to God. And then you'll find um, David blessed the people. And in verse 20, then David returned to bless his household after he blessed the people. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids 
and of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. Now, I want to point out something that Michael said those things not because basically that David danced about naked. I don't want you to get that idea. David had a, a, a linen ephod on, all right? And with a linen ephod was worn linen breeches. That was the priest's garments, you see. And I assure you that he wasn't doing a streaker's number up to Jerusalem. I mean, he, he was covered all right. But you see, for, for Michael, because she was such a proud, idolatrous woman, the thing she couldn't stand was that instead of David putting on his fine crown and his gorgeous robes and the gold and the finery, which she esteemed to be his office and his honour, he put the lot off, put on a priest's ephod, which was just plain and simple, and made himself a base fellow. Instead of claiming his kingship outside of all the other people, he just went like the Levites, dressed like the Levites were for office. Plain and simple. And so she then exaggerates and takes it beyond and says, you made yourself vile and uncovered yourself. She didn't do anything of the sort. In her heart, that's the way she saw it. And you'll find the critics always take things to extremes, don't they? They hear something and they'll accuse you of something far more extreme than you actually get up to. I mean, we, I remember one of the so-called religious hobnobs from round here. Um, charismatic to her socks, which were probably blue, and uh, religious to her knees, driving her husband mad, poor man. And um, she came to a meeting, and I remember that Nina's hearing aid wasn't working at the time. Now, it just shows you God's humour. Nina's hearing aid wasn't working at the time. And uh, so Nina kept, every time I dropped my voice so she couldn't hear, Nina would wave her hand so I'd have to keep my voice up. And so I was really having to speak very loudly so Nina could hear what was going on. It's right, wasn't it, Nina? And there, there this woman, she's got a good hearing aid now, I'm glad to say, saves my voice. But this woman, she then goes, and all around the town, she, she put this story out, that I shout through all the meetings. Well, of course I shouted. Poor Nina couldn't hear if I didn't. And so I was speaking as loudly as I could. Well, then she came to another meeting, and she said that we got there at half past seven, and we danced for three and a half hours solid. Well, I would be solid. <laughs> if I danced for three and a half hours, I'd be a stiff. I mean, how ridiculous. We might have danced for half an hour or 40 minutes. We might have marched round a bit, shouted glory and done all the normal things a church does. But, I mean, we hadn't, you know, gone extreme. Not that extreme. And this was Michael, you see. There she'd seen David and then gone to the extremity, you know, taking it a bit beyond what it really is. And they always do that when they describe you. 
Have you found that? You hear descriptions, people say, oh that lot, they do so and so. And they take it out of all proportion. That's the flesh speaking. And that's how Michael was, looking through. See, she wasn't going to be party to that. I mean, her dignity would be offended to actually praise God. Her pride. I mean, she was the queen. I mean, fancy putting off her queenly garments, her jewels and baubles and rouge, and actually just becoming a normal common person in front of God. I mean, how could she be expected to do that? And fancy her husband, who was king of all Israel, deigning to dance like a common fellow. Why, her father Saul hadn't even bothered about the ark of God. What was he doing? That's how she was thinking. And that's how a lot of people think. It's interesting, they come in and they look and, boy, do they get nasty and critical. Amen? You ever met people like that? Invite friends, you know, to a meeting. They've been friends for years. It only takes one meeting, doesn't it? <laughs> they thought you were sane before. Stupid, deceived people. You've just become sane. They're still in their insanity. And there she was, and... Um, uh, she says, how glorious um, was the king. Okay, in verse 21, and I'm still in 2 Samuel 6 at the moment. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. Glory to God. He says it was before the Lord. He chose me before thy father. In other words, listen, Michael, it's your father's seed that's coming out here and God chose me over your father. God chose me over your father and before your father. And I was dancing before the Lord. And he goes on to say, Therefore will I play before the Lord and I will be yet I will yet be more vile than thus and will be base in mine own sight in other words David acknowledged that in his own sight he was nothing he'd taken off his kingly robes he saw that it was only by God's grace he was where he was he had no rights he had no claims it was the graciousness of God. I fear when I hear people say, I'm a son of God, I've got a right. That is presumption. In the kingdom, you've no rights. There's one who has every right, that's Jesus. In the kingdom of God, we have no rights. Say, but I'm a, I'm a king and a priest to God. No, you're not. Not with that attitude. There's a king of kings and a lord of lords. And if you're submissive to him and do his bidding only, 
and don't elevate yourself and become base in your own sight, possibly you will end up a king and a priest. Possibly. But you most certainly aren't one just because you started out on the road and can say banana backwards. You have to be submissive. And he said, I'm going to be yet more vile. And that's what you want to answer people. When they say you've gone fanatical, say, yeah, and I'm going to get worse. When they criticize you, don't get all uptight and worried. They say, oh, you lot dance, yeah, and I'm going to do it more. Well, Billy Bray, you know, he's just on my mind at the moment. When it, one clergyman from uh, uh, the next parish got very upset with Billy Bray. Billy Bray wasn't a clergyman, um, but it was, uh, you know, a clergyman from the next parish. Very upset with Billy Bray. And because of the revival that kept breaking out in Billy Bray's church. And this man was a learned man, you know, knew his Bible back to front. That's probably why I never got anywhere. It's always going backwards. But he, he was one of these clever people and he was oh, very, very stained. And he went to visit Billy Bray and complain about his, um, you know, things. And, and old Billy Bray listened to this fellow and he says that it just kind of, an impulse grabbed him. And before he could stop himself, he went over to this chap who was about 16 stone and picked him up off his feet and jumped up and down with him, shouting hallelujah. <laughs> After 10 minutes, he put him back down. <laughs> Fellow stopped complaining and left. You know, I, <laughs> what can you do with a guy like that? I mean, there's nothing you can do. Just leave him alone. Dear old Billy Bray. He used to go in the pulpits and shout and glory. Congregation used to get mad with him. So he'd get worse. He wouldn't stop. Wish we had people like that, you know, really. Oh, well, let the critics come. Hmm? And... Um, he says, I will be yet more vile and base in my own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honour. And this is a strange thing. I have found religious people will come and tell you that what you do is wrong, fanatical, religious. But I find people of the world who walk in off the street who have never been to a church and know nothing about it, Say, oh, what wonderful joy and happiness you people have. I want that. The outsider, the, the, you know, the, the, the nobodies come in, not the religious, the nobodies come in and they say, my, that's real. I want that. Of course, the somebodies come in and they've got something. And so they despise you. But the nobodies come in and they say, that's for me. Amen? How many people do I find? Why, Fred and Gladys came to lunch today and we were talking about it. And Gladys said when she came out of hospital, she was ill. And you remember, God saved her life and it brought her back. And, and uh, when she was given up, and that's all, isn't it, Gladys? They gave you up as dead. 
and God restored her and, and she came in and she couldn't join in and Fred hadn't told her what the meetings were like because he thought she'd never come if he told her and so he didn't bless him very wise man and his wife came in and Gladys couldn't get up and dance and sing but what she could do she could look with her eyes now she wasn't religious I don't think she knew one end of church from t'other she'd never really bothered to look around them had you um, you don't really like spending time in cemeteries anyway she was she was sitting there and the thing that struck her was the joy on people's faces she was telling us today that's the thing that stuck in her mind nothing else but the joy didn't bother her much about the dancing and the shouting what struck her was they were full of joy no, isn't that the way a church should be? That's what the common people of the country want. I mean, if you want to be miserable, you listen to a politician. If you want to be dead, you go to church. But if you want life, you go where they sing and dance and shout and praise God. And you'll find the common people who walk in, they don't have a problem with it. It's the religious people that have the problem. Why the common person walks in and he assumes that that's church. I remember my daughter was, she's only eight now and she was sitting at, um, in, in, in our lounge and we'd, she'd put the television on to watch something, I think it was Jane Eyre. Can't remember now and she'd watch that. And you left it on what's the news and then this church songs of praise came on and she looked at it for a few minutes and she says that's not a proper church I said why not she said they're not dancing <laughs> no I mean to her the thought of going to church and not dancing was totally alien it is to me I mean the, the thought of actually having to stand still is a kind of isn't it could you imagine having every meeting you go through you had to stand still and be quiet and we'll sing him number well, could, you, could you go back to that I couldn't I hate it hmm and old David, can you imagine him? He got all the whole of Israel out doing it. Glory to God. All of them leaping and dancing and blowing trumpets and making a terrible din. Shouting and cheering. Glory to God. And they're taking the time getting there. Every six paces, <coughs> sacrifice. Isn't that the way you want the glory of God brought back into the midst? Hmm? That's the way I want it. I remember, the, as I say, the first time I ever saw uh, a real 
meeting of God was um, saw it happen well I've seen it happen three times actually but the time that sticks most in my memory is at the Arts and Activity Centre that's what sticks lodges probably most in my memory when all Bedlam let loose and people saw visions of angels dancing in the midst of vision of the Lord the glory cloud of God descend an absolute chaos for two and a half hours literally I think we just sat down when we were all so exhausted there was no breath left to praise isn't that so? I can't remember all I can remember it was a lovely night and then we came back and the next meeting the same and isn't that the way it should be? hmm? You see, when the king's in charge and when everyone's put off their religious garb and their royalty and their claims to anything and just lay it all aside, lay the flesh aside and say, Lord, we've come to praise you. You're the king of kings. Lord, we've come to lift you up. You're the majesty on high. Lord, we've come to open our beings to you and sing praises to your name. Then God comes. Can you imagine David and all the people glorying before God? Yeah, there'll still be the people peering through the window. Might be some people in their hearts are despising it and look. Well, that's their problem. But us will be more vile. Hmm? it's only going to get worse as I tell you I'm only going worse and worse and worse why at Azusa Street over in America when God came by the Holy Ghost wonderful things started happening and a preacher used to hide his head in a shoebox now I, I don't know why he did it sounds to me so a strange thing to do but that's the way and he just got hold of God and the glory of God had descended people would crash to the floor and then they'd get up and leap and dance at the old Salvation Army meetings they'd pray people through until they were up dancing and leaping and shouting and praising and they didn't believe a person who got filled with the Holy Ghost till there was that And I know that's what happened to me. And that's the far I believe it. Hmm? Don't you? Old David knew it. People claim he was old covenant. Boy, he got on fire. Hmm? Totally unreligious when the glory cloud of God descends who then can stand and be something when God comes Michael looked and you remember the story goes on and we'll go on next time but the story goes on that she was barren from that day 
I rather want to be like David, don't you? When people criticize, I want to have the sense to turn around and say, well, I'm doing it before God, and if you don't like it, you lump it, because I'm going to get worse. Call me fanatical if you will, but I love Jesus, and I do it unto him. I'm going to sing unto him, I'm going to praise unto him, and it's most biblical. As I say, in the New Testament, dancing is exhorted throughout the New Testament. It just uses the word rejoice. Trouble is that English people don't know what rejoice really means. I want to rejoice like that, don't you? Hmm? I want to have my heart set aflame like that. I want to have a good shout. I want to be able to come into a church and feel absolutely comfortable bellowing my head off. Well, if everyone does it, you don't notice. Don't you? And when God restores his presence to a people, and when God comes, that's the way it is. But you see, in order to bring the presence of God back into the midst of the people, they appointed the singers and the players to do that. In other words, in the restoration there was that. When it finally came to the culmination of in the tabernacle, there was continual praise and singing, but at the bringing back of the ark, that was the way they brought it back. And you remember, David hadn't sought God after the due order originally, but this is the due order which he inaugurated in order to bring back the presence of God. A way of praise, of singing, of dancing, of great joy. That's the way you enter in. Now everyone, as I said before, has to be in step. You can't carry the ark and all go different ways. Everyone has to set their heart now, it's an absolute set of will. I will praise the Lord. It's a determination of one's being. You're commanded to by God. It's not an option. It's the command of God. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And when you haven't got any more, you have an excuse for not doing so. But until then, you're called to do so. Isn't that the way it should be? Hmm? That's the way David was. And I trust by God's grace that we all begin to enter in to that ministry don't you? I want to enter in that way. I want to be one of those people. I don't suppose any of you will turn into a Billy Bray and be able to pick people up and jump around the table with him. I don't think I'd have the strength. Um, I don't suppose any of you will turn into a Brother Fisher and shout devils out of a church. I'm not suggesting you try. But what I am saying is you can praise God with all your heart and soul. 
you can put on a joyful aspect, you can brighten up, it says in the scriptures, you can brighten up your demeanor, you can determine, you're going to praise God. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. In everything. You've got to learn to be thankful, cheerful, bright, happy, dancing, rejoicing. And you'll find that death will work in you as you begin to do that. It works a tremendous death in you because things that are contrary to that way you find you have to reject. And it doesn't mean you do it ever so sedately. Why, I reckon David, he just got up and he danced round and I bet there was nothing sedate about his dancing. He hadn't learned to do the tango. He just got up and let go. Hmm? Uh, that's the way I believe God wants to restore his presence to the midst of his people, don't you? Hmm? Well? Well, if that's what God expects, and you better not just sit in your little house inside your heart and peer through the window and despise someone else. We'll do it. One of the things we preach in certain sermons upstairs is you can't do it because the walls might cave in. One day, Ed Miller, when he was with us, he looked and he pointed out to me that as we were dancing, the walls were shaking. And we began to realize, not this room, upstairs, and we began to realize that there was only four and a half inches of brick between us and eternity. <laughs> and that brick looked as though it was on shaky foundation. So we decided that it wasn't safe. Uh, but down here, there's a sprung dance floor. Hmm? And so it gives you a spring in your step. And it gives you momentum. And God wants a people who praise. God wants a people who lift up their hearts. God's looking for a people to be a praise to his name. Let's become David. We're going to sing um, a song that's most relevant. Now, you might not feel that you want to partake. But the command of God is that you're to praise. Now at the moment you have breath, so you may. And we know a little chorus, King David Dance. And I want us to sing it. And I want us to do it. Now some of you can dance energetically. Some of the older ones can dance less energetically. But you can do it. Even if you move one foot in front of the other, there's nothing to stop you. If you do it unto God, because you see that there is a tremendous release in the soul of a man when his whole being begins to get involved in praising God. When you're dancing and you're singing, you'll find that your whole being gets involved. If you find your mind wanders, start dancing. 
If your mind wanders then, you'll end up flat on your face. I mean, you just can't do it. You, you just have to be concentrated on what you're doing. And I can just imagine him going down that road. You know, to me, must have been the most wonderful thing out. There was a man who had sung so much of the presence of God. And in his heart, he knew that he'd set the course to bring God's presence back to the people. Isn't that your heart? I want God's presence in the midst of his people. Now you have to come back with joy. Not with sorrow, not with mourning, that's forbidden. God forbids that. It's with joy. There is time for tears. There's a time to weep. There's a time to cry. And there's a time to rejoice. And everything has its place. King David died. King David. 